Wild Band, NC Lawler. NC Lawler has filled the streets of Dublin with music for many years. Recently, he appeared in the Late Late Toy Show with Shane McGowan. He's rocked out with Mundy and supported the likes of C6 Steve and more. Like for years when I was busking, I was just playing the guitar, um, doing instrumental music. And then as time went on, um, busking became more competitive. Uh, so I had to kind of up the ante with my sound. So right. it came out of that and also maybe a frustration of just playing the guitar. And uh, I sort of wanted to feel music more from the body, you know, with the feet and uh, uh, embrace the physicality of it. So uh, that's why I started to use everything. Um, and that, that's what informed the one man band thing. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because I would never have thought something like busking would have been kind of competitive, but like, I, I kind of can see what you mean. I guess you're kind of almost competing for a walker's by attention. You're competing, you know, you know, and um, you're trying to find ways to to like bring something new, you know, because if you're playing on the same, if you're playing on the streets um, regularly, then you want to be bringing something different to your audience. Yeah, you, you have to kind of th think on your feet quite literally about how to uh, capture people's attention in a very busy city. Um, and, and at that time also, there was a lot of people using loop stations and, you know, backing tracks and stuff like that. So I just needed to ask myself, how can I make the most amount of noise, uh, musical noise, uh, with the body? Uh, and so it just became a very simple kind of thing of, you know, uh, a kick drum and a, and a hi-hat or a kick drum and a snare. And uh, and that was that, really. Uh, that's what kind of led me to do that. Yeah, and like I feel the drums obviously is a very physical instrument. I'm not a drummer myself. Um, my sister played drums, actually, and I loved going out and like banging her kit like and it is it, it is very cathartic because you can get your whole body into it. And nearly everyone that I know who gets an opportunity to sit at a kit of any any kind, it kind of brings an, another element of excitement to play music. Yeah, um, well, it's so physical, so it, it comes from the body and uh, we tend to forget when we're playing the guitar that, you know, you can kind of it's just coming from the hands but when you introduce a, a more physical intention then it, it influences the sound I think of it. Yeah and did you find that like your set list changed or the way you played changed when you started introducing uh, other instruments? I did I found that um, very quickly I, I couldn't do without it you know so when I was doing gigs I I always had to have that going on. Um, but in a way, it became like a lot of things in music, it became a, a sort of victim of its own success, you know, that I overused it then. I, I became dependent on it. And I only knew one one rhythm, which is like one, two, one, two. Yeah. And uh, so everything was in the same time signature uh, and the same key. So I had to kind of relearn how to play just with the guitar and, and vocals, you know. Cool. And did you find yourself kind of pushing yourself to do gigs without the, the rhythm section just to kind of evolve as a player? I tried. Um, but a lot of the places that I was playing um, in the bars before uh, the COVID, they were quite noisy places. So, you know, you have to. I became reliant on this pulse of the kick drum and uh, somehow my thumb was 
synchronized with that. So that that was the bedrock of all the songs. But, you know, I had to learn how to pull back from it to really. It kind of brings me back to like where blues came from and when when blues didn't have um, amplification and they had to play in a particular way to like cut through the sound of a noisy bar. And it seems that in some ways that you had to do the same thing. You had to find a way to to, to be heard and for the music to have an effect on the audience despite all the, the glasses clanking and the, the chattering and all the rest. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the funny thing about uh, music and you know environments is that the environment always inevitably influences how you play the music. Um, it has a direct feed into that. So, you know, if you play on the street, you, you're going to play in a very different way than you do anywhere else. Uh, if you play in a bar or a restaurant or a venue, you're going to play differently again. You play with monitors, you'll play differently, you'll sing differently. Uh, you know yourself from singing that you know, when you mm -hmm. have monitors, suddenly you kind of think you're emancipated and you can have the full dynamic range of your voice and it's almost like getting reintroduced to your voice. So environment has a huge effect on how we play music, you know. Yeah, I, 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 it came up in a, a a workshop I was I was at last night, an online one, um, mm -hmm. where we were talking about in ear monitoring, for example, and about how reliant we become on it because we get so used to hearing ourselves in a particular way that if the in ear monitoring breaks or something happens, it's like we're we're relying on kind of like instinct and we're hoping that all the practice that we've put in will will do the job, you know, even if we can't exactly hear what we're doing, so. I think we have to be very adaptable as musicians and performers. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Because I, I remember years ago, like I did my first gig in the uh, in the the nineteen eighties. I was about when? fifteen. Yeah. And um, in those days, you know, the equipment and the and the stuff that you had and the places that you would play, I, you know, basically you'd have big amps. And maybe just a vocal PA, you know, and a terrible monitor or no monitor. Um, and everybody just turned everything up. And, and yeah. inevitably, you could never hear the back line or you could never you could never hear the lyrics of what the vocalist was singing. And, and you'd just be deafened by your own sound. But mm. it, it was just that the technology at that time was so primitive that it was just all there, you know. Punk rock. So you throw it out there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you had nothing to go on. So the idea of I can't hear my vocals or I can have more reverb on my guitar was just like a, an absolute privilege. You, you didn't even think in those ways. You just yeah. turn up, hope they don't th throw glasses at you uh, and play, you know. <laughs> yeah. Strange. Yeah, well, I guess, I mean, I feel like as year we're really spoiled like as years go on, like musicians are, we're just so spoiled with all the equipment we have now and um, all the pedals that we can use to enhance our sound and the PA systems and the amps and all the rest like there's just there's just so much that kind of adds to what is there as a foundation but I think it's also nice to hear that stripped down kind of version of a set do you use much many like uh, pedals or kind of sound effects yourself when you're playing um I've always kind of I, I don't know why, but I've always stayed away from having too many pedals because I don't have a great relationship with technology. And I know a pedal is only something to plug in. But um, uh, yeah, really, I, I kind of always just used to, you know, drive the amp or 
I don't know. I never really used that that many effects. But now I'm, I'm kind of getting into them. I have to say, because I'm working on my own uh, in isolation. So, yeah. you know, you, you try to get into them to create a, a body of sound that is inviting for yourself to play with. But um, sometimes, in my experience, and I think it's probably true for a lot of guitar players, is that you can become obsessed with uh, equipment and gear. You mm. know. Uh, and you can quickly forget about the music that you're playing. Yes. Um, so I think with effects, kind of less is more, as far as I'm concerned, or certainly the type of music that I would listen to doesn't really have that many effects. But they, they are great, but it's a bottomless pit. <laughs> yeah, you're so right. I mean, people can be so obsessed and you see these guys coming on stage with like pedal boards that have about 30 pedals on them it's like do you actually use all them in your gigs like it's kind of crazy like there's pros and cons I guess you know mm, yeah it's um it's strange with with uh, guitar players uh, and equipment because it's kind of there's a, a real masculine sensibility of almost like people with sports cars you know when you get these guys in the in, in uh in rural parts of any country and they get a really uh terrible car and they put new panels on it and then they put like a, a different fender on it and then they put lights underneath it and uh, in a way it's a good metaphor sometimes music's like that you got this really terrible car that can hardly drive but it, it's kind of dressed up so so uh ostentatiously that it becomes attractive you know i, I think it's a real man thing to collect gear uh and always the gear equipment is, is the promise of something new you know, if I get this delay pedal, it's going to change my sound. It's going to change my intention. Uh, and I think there's a kind of an addiction for musicians to to collect gear. You know. And what what would be your kind of muse? What is your muse? Like some people might rely on equipment to kind of guide them in a new new musical direction. What's your muse? What inspires you? Um, and how? Yeah, where do you start when you're when you're kind of creating yourself? That's getting more and more complicated for me um, to identify since the lockdown because, mm -hmm. uh, because I'm not playing uh, live. Uh, it's strange, I kind of, even the music that I listen to has become wider and, and it has no kind of roots in it. It has no sensibility, you know? So I could be listening to, uh, Sibelius and then the very next minute to Charles Azabanor and that or and then I could be listening to uh you know Mark Rebo uh and Charles Mingus and I, I've become kind of very rootless in terms of what inspires me yeah I, I actually don't know um That's great, what <laughs> yeah it's very naked uh and it's not tied to any genre uh I, I think just really in terms of listening and what inspires you somehow you identify with the intention of the maker of the of the music you know uh mm -hmm. you identify with the visceral nature of the expression and and you think well that has something i i need to visit that place you know yeah. it's like an attraction a kind of we like sometimes we see ourselves in other people and even in other in other music and when we see somebody else going there it's kind of like oh that's what i that's what i need i need that and you want to go there and explore it and um, experience it, I suppose. 
we see ourselves in other people and even then we see our sometimes we see elements of musical styles that we kind of feel that maybe extends our own um identity as an artist and we kind of want to go in and explore it and kind of be part of that and see how we can put our own twist on it yeah that's true i think i think um any good experience of listening to music is one where you want to go and make your own music you know um it's like if you go to an exhibition of paintings and it makes you want to paint it's the same as a good gig or a good a good Mm -hmm. record or listening experience if it makes you want to create then it's definitely a good experience yeah and are you finding that because i know most of us will go to a gig and have that that feeling um you know musicians will come away going oh god i really want to go and do a gig now or i really want to like write a song i feel really inspired and like how do you find like obviously with lockdown we can't go to a gig so how are you finding inspiration online is is it um is it different is it worse is it better i think lockdown is uh it's a strange thing because you know all of a sudden you you can't rely on um your last gig for me i was gigging every night of the week uh so i was always loading my stuff in and out of places and, and doing two or three hours of playing and that felt like it was enough every day and i was making my living from it but with lockdown something strange happened i don't, I don't think just to me but uh, to a lot of people that i've been speaking to lately is uh it was like a, it's not just a social lockdown, it's kind of a psychological lockdown where you empty the pool creatively and you see what's left, you know. You kind of, you get an opportunity to see uh, what have I been trading on all this time. Yeah. Um, and for me, I kind of thought you've been, you know, you've been trading on very little, but you've made it go a long way. I had to ask myself the question, um, what, what kind of music would you like to create? Um, what what skills do you need to um, engender to create that music? Um, what are your real intentions to create anything? You know, some serious questions have been asked uh, of myself, at least, and I know other people have been in a similar boat, that, you know, what is it really you want to create? Because when you're working as a musician, you get hired for a certain thing that you do, uh, and you can keep on doing that year after year after year. Uh, but the the daunting and, uh, and most incredible question of lockdown is what is it you want to communicate? You know, yeah. and and how are you, how are you going to communicate it? Uh, and that that's a really big question, I think. Do you think? Do you think that's always the that's always the case is obviously we're trying to communicate a message but I do you do you think that maybe this is this situation that we've kind of landed in is forcing us to be a little bit more planned about it a little bit more strategic I think it, it can be twofold um you know there's a there was a sense of panic initially when the lockdown happened and a lot of people were doing online gigs and you know you turn on social media and, and every second post would be somebody with a guitar and you in a room like frantically community you know flapping their wings basically yeah. um i th- i think it calls for a more considered approach uh 
and a more nuanced approach uh, is because we only have this digital platform to convey what we're doing. Um, our method of delivery has to be more considered, you know, and or at least that's what I feel. Um, and, and that asks uh, an artist some very serious questions, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, because maybe makes one maybe... very uneasy. Yeah, sorry for interrupting. I was just going to say, uh, I think that like a lot of creative brains are not so organized. We're a little bit more kind of thoughts here and thoughts there. So, you know, I, although this, this whole situation has, has really, you know, been very difficult and challenging for a lot of people, I think that there's always something to learn from every situation and you know, I feel like on a, on a creative level, like I'm sure that when this is this ends, you're going to feel like you've evolved again. You another another layer has kind of peeled off, and it's peeled off in such a way because of the situation that we've been in. Do you know? So there's always something to take from 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 all challenges and struggles. I guess there is. I mean, um, I, countless things have gone through my mind uh, about artists during different types of lockdowns, you know, like uh, Picasso making very dangerous paintings during Nazi-occupied France, or Samuel Beckett on the run from uh, when he was in the resistance from the, from the Nazis and spending three years in a small place in rural France, uh, drinking wine from a monastery, uh, you know, literally his life was threatened and he had to write three years. Um, what do artists do in in terms in, in times like that? I don't know. I, I don't know how people are handling the current situation. And in a way, it's strange because we have this, I think when we have this digital platform, we develop the sense of that we, we should, you know, keep on posting or contributing or letting mm -hmm. people know what we're at. And I think sometimes it's very healthy to really not know what you're at, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I said, well, I don't know, you know, I don't know if what I was doing was effective. Uh, will it be effective in the future? Uh, and it's, so it's a time to kind of clear the board, isn't it? Do you no. think that, because um, there is definitely like a lot of pressure. I don't know who puts the pressure on us. Like, I don't think anyone puts hmm. the pressure on us, but I think it's ourselves. It's like we feel that we need to to present ourselves in a certain way and to be you know uploading content and all this and like in a way we do because we need to stay connected with with our audience but but I'm wondering if you know the way you said about kind of not really knowing what you're doing maybe like that's nice to share maybe you could share that maybe you could share like yourself trying to create something and just fucking it up like just being like well I think it's probably a good time to share um I think it's the best time, or it's always a healthy time to share being vulnerable in the creative process. Yeah. You know, because it's very easy to make, a, you can present a, an image and a sound and ideas that aren't vulnerable and people buy it, uh, lock, stock and barrel. But I think it's it's good to be creatively vulnerable. It's good to not know your, your, your ass from your elbow sometimes. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of work can come out of that uncertainty. And, and this is a time of further uncertainty. You know, it's it's not gonna, it's, it's not, it doesn't seem like, 
like we're all going to be out gigging anytime soon you know yeah. so that isolates us and that makes us ask ourselves the uncomfortable questions yeah I think it's good to I think I this came up before but I think it's like it's um it's important to become comfortable with being uncomfortable because that makes us real and authentic and I think it's in those moments that people look and go that's when they connect with us that's when they go that's real and I've been through that or I this that was literally me last night trying to write a song or whatever it is you know I'm in the same position as that person and like and then I think that when when you upload yourself being vulnerable when you get kind of show that to the world it kind of shows other people that like it's like going back to the whole like we show this perfect side to ourselves you know on social media or whatever like but there's so much that goes on behind that and the stuff that goes on behind that is sometimes the more interesting stuff you know, it's, it's just real. I would believe so. I, I think uh, in my experience of people creating stuff is that, you you know, there's great terror behind what people present and there's great vulnerability and there's this huge insecurity. You know, it, it's always there. Uh, so and some of the greatest artists have come from that place uh, and created the most beautiful work. You know, someone like Leonard Cohen, for instance, that... Mm -hmm very late stage of his life uh, went and joined a monastery because he just didn't know how to be a human being mm. and then came back and, and toured and wrote and stuff like that, you know? Wow. It's an ongoing process, I think, uh, the creative life. It's not an easy one because yeah. it's concerned with identity, you know? Yeah. And do you find that you're more creative when you're do you, you write about what you're going through or do you what do you write about what you've went through like do you know some people write when they're feeling sad and some people write about when they felt sad like they write about the uh, in hindsight they write about it and after it happened as opposed to being in it mm. what would what would you say is your kind of approach well i think it's difficult to write uh about how you're feeling as you're feeling it you know, I think it, that's quite difficult because um, often when you're feeling something, you don't know until you have the privilege of retrospect what you really were feeling. Um, so for me, um, it's that very difficult balance of, of you know, being subjective uh, and being raw. Uh, but how do you communicate your, your emotions in a artistic canon is, is very difficult you know mm. I think we all have kind of filters of language or musical styles or musical archetypes that we kind of sneakily hide behind to express ourselves you know yeah. there, there, there's, you find there's very few writers that really give away the whole game in terms of how they're feeling mm. in fact I know that if I wrote how I was feeling I don't think a lot of people would want to listen to it <laughs> you don't think <laughs> And certainly not me, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. It's so, too it's too close to the bone sometimes to to be. Yeah, I mean, sometimes people say, that, you know, to say to writers like you know novelists, you know, write what you know. Um, show the story, don't tell the story. Um, but there always has to be a little bit of a filter between you and the audience. You know, I I always have a a saying with with writing about oneself is like be an open book, but keep a chapter to yourself mm. you know you yeah leave to. some questions unanswered because then people will kind of be 
guess and then that kind of makes it a bit more mysterious and and maybe maybe leaves it a little bit more broad that pe- more people can can kind of um relate to it do you know what one person yeah. what one person gets from your lyric another person will get something different depending on their own experience yeah you, you, you want to kind of create a situation where there's uh it's it, it's universal and not so particular to you yeah you know like if we all if we all wrote like a love song for mm. instance that we really felt at the time as it was happening we, we, we'd probably sound like a sociopath or or a narcissist you know mm. um yeah. but with a couple of years to reflect on that experience you might write something a bit more uh elegant than what your feelings were saying at that time you know yeah yeah exactly because your spirit your brain is just like ah. <laughs> can't really kind of yeah. see anything but what you're feeling and you don't even understand what you're feeling so how are you supposed to write about it <laughs> exactly yeah and, and also you know it sounds like a terrible thing to say but uh music's not always about feelings it, it, it can be about story ideas yeah. mm-hmm. it can be about atmospheres and yeah. it can be about abstractions yeah you know you want to invite the abstractions in as well as your feelings yeah. um you write a lot of, you kind of release a lot of like instrumental stuff as well. So like, so therefore we're not really thinking about lyrics at all, but like, do you have a, a story behind those, that music or do you have a, is there a story behind it or is there a feeling behind it or do you just play? Is it just improvised? How, you know, how does that work for you? Well, improvisation is a, is a funny thing because uh, for someone like me, I can card myself that I'm creating something new. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really what I'm doing is I am probably remember remembering a, an experience of music I've heard previously and I'm reinviting it into into my life so it's, it's not really improvisation it's more recollection you know yeah. uh, like today I was messing around in the studio um, I've been thinking about uh, I've been pretty obsessed lately with this idea of making music about remembering an older Europe than we're experiencing now. Oh, wow, okay. So it's uh, the idea keeps on coming to me um, to remember kind of post-war Europe and all the musical flavors and the aesthetics uh, and all of that in that world. Uh, and how does it how does it sound, you know? Uh, so tonight I, I did something uh, with that. It's called Last Dance in Kdansk. Oh, wow. um, and it's a it's a kind of way of, you know, I think I'm improvising, but really I, I'm I'm not. I'm drawing on sounds that I've experienced before. I'm not creating anything new. I, I'm sort of embracing a subjective remembrance of things I've heard, you know. Uh, but isn't that language? Because we... music music is a language, and we we learn a language. We learn English or whatever our language is. Yeah. And. Um, we might write a song, but none of the words in the song are like original words, but we've just put them in a way that expresses what we want to say. Isn't music kind of similar? You're you're using that language and you're forming it into a way that delivers the message that you want to, to get across. Yeah, I think sometimes we have to be humble enough to accept that we're, we, uh, we're receiving a lot of secondhand news musically, you know. Um, I'm not saying that there's not nothing original. There certainly is, but it's the it's the reinterpretation of what you experience in your musical memory that makes something new. You know, mm. um, and so for me, the idea of improvisation is uh, well, 
you know, you have improvisation and you have composition and they're both uh, two sides of the same coin. Mm. Um, you know, they, they really are. But culturally, I, I think most of our musical uh, mode of operation is based on remembering things that we, we enjoyed when we were younger. Mm. You yeah. know, so a lot of musical production is to do with nostalgia, I think. Is visiting visiting a place that you were very happy a long time ago and uh, wake something up in you, you know. I wonder if that's to do with age, though, or because I don't know about like, like would would someone like a teenager would they be writing nostalgically or would they be writing more about, you know, what's what's happening in the moment or you know feelings wise or or events wise or whatever. Yeah, I think a lot of it probably has to do with age and probably in my case, because I'm middle-aged um, and at this age, uh, my stage of life, uh, a lot of experiences are kind of through the, the rear view mirror. You know, you, you start to look back mm -hmm. um, and definitely musically you start to look back. You start to think, well, why did I like that? And why did I choose to play this? And uh, what does that mean? And where does that come from? And you'll always source it somewhere in your early life, these things had a, a quite a big impact, you know. Yes. Uh, you'll always find it. You'll always root it out. Uh, I think probably when you're younger, it's easier to make fresher music. Yeah. Uh, I think as you get older, or it, well, for for me and for people of my age and above, and above that, they, they they tend to get very self conscious, you know, and uh, the freshness is not there as it is in youth, you know. Mm. But that's that that's all the way through life, right? That's uh, that's not just music. <laughs> yeah, I feel like like I'm in my thirties now, and I feel there's like different points of kind of transformation as you as you get older. I think I was like in my I don't know my mid twenties, and I felt like I was kind of evolving, or there was some kind of transformation happening. I had some kind of enlightenment or something went on at me and you know I made a lot of changes in my life and I kind of I was the same person but I just had like a slightly different outlook on life and mm -hmm. I'm in my mid-30s now and I feel like I'm kind of going through that again now so it's like I think that will just keep happening as we get older. Yeah well there's a theory that every seven years that you go through a, a kind of cyclical change you know with the cells in your body yeah and yeah. I think uh, uh, married to that is this kind of idea, you, not an idea, but there's a possibility that you go through an ideological change of, you know, what, is, what, what have I done? What do I want? What's my work about? Uh, you know, and as artists, we're, we're very self-indulgent. We, we always want to know what we are about. Yeah. Uh, we have this kind of privilege of narcissistic indulgence and mm -hmm. uh, introspection that we're always asking ourselves, like, well, what am I about today? And that changes the whole time. It's uh, thank God it changes, but it always brings up a lot of questions. Yeah, like what, what's it all about? What's what's the meaning of life and all that? You know. <laughs> well, it does become it does become uh, you know terribly philosophical, but that yeah. that hopefully informs the the music. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Some stage. And then obviously, the you know, as we get older as well, we, we're carrying more baggage with us too, more, you know, trauma and uh, heartache and 
great experiences, happiness, all these different um, events in our life that kind of mold us into the the creatures that we are now, mm. you know, in the present moment. So, yeah, yeah, and I think also as we get older, with music, we we, we discover our limitations a lot more keenly than we ever did. I, I know that when I was in my twenties. Uh, and I had a long break from music. Um, in my late 20s, I returned to playing music and I ended up make, making my living from it. But I, I didn't really have any skills. I, I had a bunch of chords and, and the same old riffs that really weren't mine. Uh, and I managed to to carve out a living from that. Um, and I still play most of those things. Uh, and then as you get older, you kind of think, well, hang on. <laughs> You know, I don't know about that time signature or I don't know about this. And I, you, you start to discover your limitations and mm -hmm. that can either re really either really terrify you or it can propel you into more learning, you know. Yeah. One way or the other. It's interesting because I'm, I'm guessing just from what you've just been saying is that you're like a self-taught musician, that you didn't go to music college or do your grades or anything like that. So you, you kind of came up and learned yourself is that is that is that right yeah i never had any musical um education at school or, or there was no music really in my family like none of my siblings or parents or anybody play music actually nobody but um so i was kind of fresh off the block and it was really for me learning from records and tape cassettes and all that kind of old stuff uh, and there was no youtube or anything like that um but I was very fascinated by music and taken by it, you know. And now there's all this stuff that just didn't exist before. I mean, I look around me in my own studio, I have so many things that I would never have dreamt of mm. when I was growing up. You know, so many instruments and pedals and, and bits of technology and, and microphones. But really it comes down to the fact of, you know, what is it you want to express? Yeah, uh, that, that, that's really the, the thing. And, and it's great with this lockdown because nobody might hear it. It might not yield any fruit, but you still feel compelled to express something. Yeah. Uh, it's a strange time, <laughs> you know, it goes without saying for, for all of us. Do you, there's a, con there's a conversation to be had about um, you said about wanting to express something and kind of I suppose the meaning behind the music or that you can be technically brilliant but not be connected with the music and I wonder like what's what's where's the line you know yeah that's a really good question because um you know like there's these music colleges that are around now um where you get to learn an awful lot of things uh I suppose very quickly you get to learn a lot of things that are you really have to be experienced over time you know like if uh, i know you're you're a vocal coach um it takes a long time for somebody to find their own voice if ever mm -hmm. it's yeah. very much a very it's very difficult to coach that uh and then because of youtube and because of, of the amount of uh tutorials on the internet People can develop a very high technical skill level, and, mm -hmm. but they can bypass a, a level of communication, you know? Yeah. You can have a very bad player um, communicate beautiful things 
with limited skills and then you can have a you know a virtuoso player communicate nothing with multiple skills yeah yeah um so it's very it's it's very hard to ascertain what what is helpful in terms of ed edu education and music mm, well, uh, and then yeah the other the other side of that is not to become, become too romantic and think uh, I don't need any skills. I, I'm just going to express myself. Uh, of course, there has to be a balance of, of both, you know. Yeah, totally. Would you have any advice, or what would your what would your kind of go to be to for someone to help them find their own voice? I don't think I'd have any advice because I I don't think I found my own. Yeah. Um. Quite frankly, I I actually feel you know. In two years, I'll be half a century old, and I don't think I'm even close to finding my own voice. It's crazy. Um, it is, yeah. But you have to have something to aim for. You have to have some kind of sign on the road that you're driving towards, a horizon line, and as you go to it, it disappears. Um, and you have to have some kind of fun on the way, I guess, you know. Uh, the idea of finding your own voice is perhaps a bit of a holy grail. You may never find it. Um, mm. But it doesn't mean you should not pursue it. The endeavour itself is probably uh, the gold. Yeah, maybe it's the process in which we're trying to find it. Or, you know, it's the, it's the process where the magic lies as opposed to the the end goal because maybe there is no end goal because we we realistically we want to be constantly evolving we don't want to be that person who's like I know everything <laughs> I don't I don't need to know anymore I don't want to listen to any new music don't want to like you know work on my skills so maybe it's like the magic is in the process that's where your voice is constantly changing yeah I think if you can find some point or if one can find some point with an instrument or with your voice or or with a process even you can find some point where you kind of feel like you've moved beyond yourself mm. if you create something that feels like it's outside of you I, I think that that's a really good thing if you can surprise yourself you know mm. um, but the tendency uh, or at least for me the, we, we, we tend to rely on things that have been a success for us in the past yeah um, and we don't always feel comfortable moving beyond that. Um, and it, 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 we really have to, you know, we really have to have that sense of surprise. So tell us about, um, so your, your, your main kind of thing is busking, is that right? Well, it was for many years yeah. um, because I live in this very expensive capital. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to busk uh, most days of the week and I had to gig as well because I always chose, I always lived on my own. I didn't share houses, so I was always paying high rents. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to do that. Um, and I didn't mind doing it because it was a learning curve and it was a great way to spend time. Um, but then before the lockdown, I, about two years ago, I, I stopped busking and I promised myself, well, I'm, I'm just going to work in bars and restaurants and venues and stuff like that. And then after a period of years, I'm going to stop that and I'm going to do something else. Yeah. Uh, and it's that old, old saying is, be careful what you pray for, you know, because I got <laughs> it. And now 
I'm in a space, in a studio space that uh, I have all the tools and all of the things um, that I wanted and I, I don't really know how to use them and I don't have the self-discipline to know how to use them. Do you um, mean use them as in like use the physical to like your instruments like is that what you mean? Yeah I, I think once for, for me my experience has been once you don't have a relationship with, with playing in the pub uh, and you're just on and then you gotta be really willing for all the demons to come out, the creative demons, you know. And uh, so, like, it's very easy to get in the habit of playing live every night. It's just a repetitious thing. I said, what was one of your favorite gigs that you played? And favorite gigs, I, I never had a, a, an experience of having a favorite gig, but there's um, there's been times when you play. Uh, or for me when I've played on the street or at a gig or at, at a good venue that you felt kind of outside of yourself mm. for maybe two or three seconds that you have this feeling of um, there's no time or space and you feel outside of yourself like uh, in a way that you know you're, you're not in your ego or it doesn't really matter you transcend what you're doing and you're connecting with something you can't see the audience and they they kind of complete the picture you know like I've always had this this idea that the audience is the uh, is the bow on the strings of the maker. That the 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 audience is that bow, and that's very romantic and cliched. But you know, <laughs> the maker and provider of the music offers something, and then the audience's empathy with that completes the process. Um, and working in isolation, you just don't get that, you know. Just no. don't get it. You don't, but I guess we just have to make the most of the situation. And as I said, there's like no matter what situation we're put in, we can we can make something good come of it, even if it's challenging, you know. Um, but what we was have I going to say? If there was one musician you could bring back to life, who would it be? Oh, that's very difficult. Uh, <laughs> um let me think okay back to life i mean there's so many good ones that are still alive i know yeah um, i think okay in the last century i won't go further than the last century <laughs> um, okay otherwise we'll go back hundreds of years you know mm. and it would be it would be back on an organ or a harpsichord um I think somebody like uh, Billie Holiday or, you know, mm. Nina Simone, actually, I'd, l I'd love to, yeah, I'd love to hear Nina Simone. Um, I don't think there's anybody more visceral and pedantic and uh, life affirming than that lady. Yeah, she's, she's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Did you see her documentary on Netflix? I did. Yeah, I did. It's really good, actually, wasn't it? It is. Yeah. I mean, history always gives those people such a huge gravitas and so it's very hard to kind of to to locate what they were doing but uh yeah Nina Simone, Billie Holiday yeah the, the, those, those ladies of jazz really I guess mm. great vocals and would they I mean because you're a vocal coach so I'm interested in talking to you about the voice at some other stage because uh, yeah. I think that probably the voice holds the uh 
the thumbprint to a artistic endeavor and identity you know I think the voice is the real teller isn't it it is it's it's really interesting because I teach a bit of keyboard as well now I, I only teach beginner keyboard but I find that the most nervous students are the vocal the, vo the vocal students because the voice is such a reflection yeah. on our our emotions on our health and everything else we can't it's very difficult to hide your emotion behind your voice or if you're unwell, it shows in your voice, you know, but whereas if you're nervous or unwell and you go and play your guitar, it's easier, much easier to hide it. So I feel like because it's such a revealing instrument, the voice, that people kind of feel more vulnerable when they have to sing in front of you. Yeah, I think it's interesting because it was the last thing I ever considered when I was playing music was the voice. And... You know that that saying that the the eyes are, are the window to the soul. Mm. I always think, in terms of music, uh, it's really the voice. You know, yeah. uh, and there's many th things that one can do with one's own voice when singing. You can affect it so much. You can put American accents on. You know all this kind of stuff. Um, and it's so hard to find a vocalist that re that really sings as themselves. And when, but when you find it, there's nothing like it in the world. Mm. There's no instrument that will surpass that. Uh, I was watching, this is going to sound strange, but I was watching this uh, concert by Andres Botticelli okay. on, on New Year's Day. Yeah. And uh, he was surrounded by the world's best musicians in this place called Portofina. So it's the most beautiful uh, European little sea-fronted village and the, the world's best musicians. But... What really came across with this guy, this uh, opera singer, is just the, the whole delivery of his voice was just full of uh, humanity. And when he finished the song, he sing where he just smile. Yeah. Uh, and you see his gums, you know, this gummy <laughs> smile, and you just see the beauty of the voice and the beauty yeah. of the man, actually. Mm. Uh, and uh, I found it deeply moving. Uh, mm. And I was watching it for the first five minutes in, in a kind of ironic way, like, oh, yeah, this is kind of Euro trash, you know, polished yeah. Ferrero Rocher kind of advert. <laughs> All these guys with grey hair and young wives and this beautiful port. But <laughs> when, I, when I actually honed into this man's voice, it blew me away, you know. Mm. I just thought, wow, that's so pure. That, that, that is really coming from some, some place that only he knows about you know yeah I think it's it's one of the hardest things to do is to to connect with your emotions and your thoughts and portray it in the voice it's definitely one of the things that I, I think most of my students would struggle with is they'll they'll sing the song what they think sounds good but they'll forget about the, the story of the song and the meaning of the song and about you know all the different emotions and things that you can that you can express, you know, how many different types of anger there are, how many different ways to express sadness, or how many ways mm. can you show that you're happy or excited? It's not just it's not just one way. There's like so many different nuances, you know, in each in each um delivery. So, so you uh, as a vocal teacher, would you say that a lot of your work um, sort of slightly tips on sort of therapy in a way? <laughs> Yeah, funny enough, um, I think 
when you're working one-to-one with students you know they become very comfortable with you and especially mm-hmm. vocal students because they're putting themselves in that vulnerable position where they're they're allowing you to hear their voice flaws and all you know and it's it's a very difficult thing to do and a lot of the time they do become very like at ease with you that they they often open up and tell you about their life and different things that exactly yeah. that happened to them it's like even when I went years ago I worked in retail for for many years and even as a retail worker like I'd have regular customers that would come in and they just get to know you and they'd be dying to tell just a stranger about what's going on in their life you know and mm. it's a very delicate balance because you, you kind of you have to know where the line is too and most of the time it's absolutely fine but you have to be very careful about um, how you deal with, with somebody because, you know, they could be going through a really hard time or, you know, so you have to be very nurturing of that in the lesson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it must be a great privilege to um, to nurture that and bring it out of people. Absolutely. And, and funny enough, um, and I'm not the only um, person who has said this, who, who is doing what I'm doing, but um, I actually... I, I was going to go into psychology and counseling and that side of things um and I remember one year I sat down you know for the new year's resolutions and all of that and I kind yeah. of was like right I need to sort my shit out I need to figure out where I'm going I need to kind of figure out who I am what's important to me and what what do I want to do this year so I went on this kind of journey of of trying to kind of figure out what what really what I really wanted, um, what direction I wanted to go in. So I did things like um, the Myers-Briggs test to kind of analyze myself. Have you ever, ever heard of the Myers-Briggs test? I did hear of it. Is that the personality test? Yeah, yeah. So I, 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 did, yeah. I did that. And when I, you know, it was just kind of my way of like trying to figure out my personality type and kind of what means means the most to me in life. Anyway, long story short, after a lot of scribbling pie charts and notes and journaling and doing all these quizzes online and all the rest, um, I figured out the, my core values in life, you know, and one of the things was that I want to, I like helping people, you know, when right. I realized that I, I love music and I love helping people. And I also had this psychology direction and I was like, but I can, I can help people and do music in the, in, as, a, as a vocal coach. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah, yeah. So I kind of figured out that I could actually embody all those kind of core values in in one job, and I think that's that's really kind of key for for every individual, um, to kind of find out what their core values are because it really can help guide you in the right direction. Yeah, that's a very useful thing I think for any music, uh, anybody endeavoring music to do is that you you know it's what the the Buddhists would call the Dharma, is that you you know, beyond what you want from music and what you want to communicate is you, you try and find out how it helps other people uh, and, and what its purpose is, you know. Mm. Uh, so it's kind of an honourable thing to do. Uh, and definitely with the voice, because it's, it is, I think we both agree, the most vulnerable place is what, is to sing. Mm. It really is. It's, it's, I mean, anybody can hide behind uh, incendiary guitar riffs or virtuoso piano or whatever but um when you come to the voice it's so naked really 
Yeah. Because it's right in the center of people, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it gets yeah. to the center. It's, it's crazy. There's, there's just so much in it, you know, there really is so much in it. But I, I actually... There is, there is. I mean, I, I listen to this uh, beautiful singer, probably at the end of every day, I would listen to Joe Stafford. And, uh, and she's actually. a beautiful singer. Joe Stafford's great. She, she's kind of under the, the radar a little bit um, because her peers were much bigger than her. But uh, she just has the most honest voice, you know, mm. in every syllable, and every intonation and every lyric. Nothing is missed. And uh, it's very transporting. Yeah. Uh, it can reduce you to tears quite quickly. It's, it's yeah. great. I did a workshop a, a while ago um, with a kind of a class um, in a course I'm doing and they had like three different singers. I can't remember who they were now, but there was there were three amazing singers. One was like technically brilliant. There was one that, that was like kind of somewhere in the middle and then there was one that was not technically brilliant at all. And you were asked, they, mm. they played like a sample, you were asked, which singer do you kind of connect most with or do you like the best and nearly everyone picked the singer who, who was less who was the least technically brilliant but the most emotionally um convincing you know the person who just was so authentic yeah there's a great saying for that there's um there's a great essay i once wrote uh, not wrote i read about a, a sculpture and the essay said um Crudity, crudity is in the form of the thing said and not the thing done. Yeah. You know, so expert expertise sometimes can kind of flatten the emotion, uh, uh, and crudity itself can be the emotion. You know, if it's coming from a broken voice or you know a broken heart or whatever, that that that, that level of communication can be more effective than than somebody that's been to the uh, conservatory of music. You know. Yeah, it's like trying to get that balance. I think that's the key. It's like trying to find the balance between kind of practice and connection and delivery of emotion and story and all that. It is. I mean, one of the people that I keep on going back to is Charles Azabanar, you know, the French singer. I actually don't know. Uh, he's just amazing because well, he's an amazing songwriter and, and lyricist, but uh, just the timbre of his voice, you're straight away in the frame of the story he's conveying. Mm. And then dynamically, uh, as a singer, he takes you on this journey that you're you're kind of flattened by it at the end of it. You know, you're you're emotionally worn out, yeah. And, and yet you're thrilled by the the being worn out. <laughs> yeah, it's like kind of like therapy or something. You kind it of is. feel a bit better, but you also feel a bit worse. <laughs> well, it's kind of cathartic. It brings yeah. all all the stuff up, you know, and uh, you have to openly invite that experience in. But uh, it must be great to, to work with people in the voices. It must be a wonderful thing. Yeah. So I know I used to be a guitar teacher and okay. I lived off that for about five years. Uh, and all people wanted to do, young guys would come into me and they just want to play fast. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was almost like their intention for the guitar playing was their intention for life. They wanted to, you know, kiss somebody or, or you know, lose the virginity or Impress it, someone, it, basically, yeah. everything was fast and <laughs> demonstrative but um i think if you're working with people's vocals then you're working with a very delicate invisible organ in a way mm, it is yeah. it is an invisible instrument but 
Yeah. The, the visible instruments. I know you play an array of instruments, and one of the ones that I'm that I kind of love is the lap steel. Right. Yeah. The one that you play in the lap. Do you yeah. want to tell people a little bit about that, just for anyone who doesn't know who you are, and oh um, yeah, tell people about the instruments that you play and kind of what they're like and all that. Okay. Yeah. Well, the the steel guitar, which would be quite close to the voice, because you don't fret the instrument. You're playing with a steel bar. Mm. Uh, um, yeah, that, that kind of gives rise to a lot of different expressions. But the thing with the steel guitar is it's very rooted in Americana. Mm -hmm. um, so it ha once you play anything on the steel guitar, it's framed instantly into American music. Mm. Um, and there's so many different instruments, different types of steel guitar. Uh, I have loads of them in here. Um, <laughs> I can see a few. It's something I haven't played. Behind you. Yeah, it's something that I've kind of moved away from lately because uh, I've been trying to create more structure and the steel guitar is quite intuitive. Yeah. But it does cross the line with many genres. You can play jazz and blues, uh, country and all sorts of things on it. It's still quite a young instrument. Um, I kind of found out during lockdown that I wasn't really that good at it. But when I, started, <laughs> I actually started to study it mm, uh, okay. and study the techniques and I thought, oh God, uh, I missed out on the algebra of, of that instrument because I, I just kind of went at it, you know, because I love the sound of it. But like, like I was saying to you uh, um, about music and memory, for me, when I was a kid growing up, there was a lot of steel guitar on the television okay. and on radio, but I didn't know what it was, but I was drawn to the sound. Mm. Uh, and it took me years and years to find out what that sound was. And uh, lo and behold, I kind of, immerse myself in it but uh yeah it's a kind of bottomless pit really it's another voice um and you can get quite a lot from very little out of it but if you want to explore it into its very depths it can become quite a complicated instrument especially the pedal steel guitar which is over there and that's a monster is you that know? the is that um, the kind of narrow one or is it the it looks like a guitar but it's like steel and sits on your lap it, it looks like a the old-fashioned knitting machine. You know, it's on legs and it, it's oh, it's yeah. got ten strings, um, ten, yeah. ten strings, and has like uh, levers for your feet and all this kind of stuff. And it, it it's a really difficult instrument to play. I don't think I'll get ever to the bottom of it. But um, yeah, the steel guitar is kind of it's, that's what I played on the street, which was. Uh, uh, lap steel thing and uh, yeah. people really responded to that sound and they like it I think because it's intuitive and you can play it intuitively and you can play it kind of uh, you can play with quite a lot of vigor and passion and, yeah. and and that kind of thing and people respond to that you know they they really like it <laughs> yeah I think the over overwhelming um, theme of our conversation is that um, you know people are drawn to to music that's authentic and that really conveys the story that you're trying to tell, do you know, no matter whether it's the voice or an instrument or, do you know, when, when, even when we look at, like you said, you were talking about the instrument that you said that you'll, you'll never get to the bottom of it, but maybe that's kind of, that's okay because the way you play it is, is your voice and kind of part of who, your expression. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Well, it, for me, it was my voice for a long time and, um, it was it was the voice that 
the, uh, you know, kept me in rent and my head above water. Uh, but there comes a time to divorce the thing that you love also. Um, yeah. There comes a time to pull away from that and think, well, I have to now uh, create a situation where I'm kind of vulnerable and I don't know. You know, for me now, that's the piano. It's, uh, mm, I see you playing a bit of that, yeah. Mm, and I have no idea about it. And um, I'm definitely not good at it. Uh, and it's a whole kind of universe of its own. So time to delve into that. Yeah, it's it's a never ending journey. And like each instrument that you play kind of will, will kind of bring you in, in a slightly new direction, which is kind of Yeah, it's uh, just another fresh. way of setting sail into a on navigable port do you release music because i had a look on spotify but i couldn't see anything on spotify or like kind of how can people hear what you're what you're creating well i've never released anything um i've recorded lots of things but i never really i, I you know i've never really put out an album or anything like that um for different reasons but uh um i'd like to um uh We'll see if I do. I don't know. Uh, at the moment, I'm working on a, a soundtrack for a, a film. Oh, wow. In Ireland. Um, so that's my my latest project and my f first time doing that. Is that a, so is it a secret? Is it a secret of who it's for or what it's for? I, I'm not sure if the, if I'm allowed to, to say what it is, but they're, yeah. they're filming it at the moment um, and they asked me to do it. Um, so between now and the end of April, I'll be working on that, uh, which is great because I have to do with this uh, soundtrack everything that I've never done before. So I have to, uh, yeah. instead of like being gung-ho and, you know, having loads of notes and uh, demanding attention from a bar or a street, I have mm. to really sit back and, and, and be very minimal with what I do. Um, so that's an interesting challenge for me. That's yeah. what I'm doing now. That's um, really interesting. I, I can't wait to kind of see what that's all about. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to be it's going to be uh, a strange experience because I, I have to do the whole thing on one guitar and create a story from one instrument. You know, wow. tell a story with one instrument. And uh, but then for my for myself, what I would like to do, which I'll talk to you about another time, is um, I'd like to do some vocal training. You know, and. Yeah. Uh, find out what's going on with the voice yeah and see how, uh, outside of the yeah yeah so that's it i got the soundtrack and i have my daily practice and the routine what i normally do is i play the piano uh every morning scales and stuff like that and then i go to the pedal steel and then i read for a while and try to write for a while and, and that's it yeah cool so you have kind of a routine set out to kind of keep you keep you motivated and keep you moving well, I'd like to present the idea, but, you know, sometimes I just sit in the rocking chair and I think, you know, and I don't do anything. <laughs> That's okay, though. I mean, where do we have to go anyway, right? <laughs> but nobody can see me not doing anything on social media, you know? Yeah, so that's fine. It's all good. <laughs> um, but maybe the, maybe that's, we should all do that. We should just post when we're doing nothing. And yeah. that's okay, too. Totally. Um, we're all we're all the same. Like we all have our, our days where we feel guilty for not doing anything. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, thank you so much for for coming on and having the chat with me. Um, and thanks. No, so I, I thank you for the, the opportunity. 
you're welcome um, thanks so much to everyone who's tuned in to listen um, and make sure you check um, once you know out on the